So this weekend, Texas has five. One, two, three, four, five. Top 50 prospects visiting the 40 acres. Sark, it's time to turn into Mariana Rivera. We need you to close. You are Locked On Longhorns, your daily podcast on the Texas Longhorns. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Locked on Longhorns, the show. Jonathan Davis, your host. Today's episode of Locked on Longhorns is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked on. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked on today to get started. On today's episode of Locked on Longhorns, we're discussing one of the biggest official visit weekends on the 40 acres I can remember. And then one of the best running backs in the country out of the state of Arizona commits to the University of Texas. No, I'm not talking about B. John Robinson. We're talking about Kristen Clark. And last but not least, College World Series last night, Wake Forest, LSU, one of the best sporting events, one of the best baseball games I have ever seen in my life. I'll tell you why it's time for Texas to be back on that stage. All of that and more on today's episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. So a huge recruiting weekend on the 40 Acres means a huge recruiting episode of Locked On Longhorns. And it's imperative that Texas puts their best foot forward. And this weekend goes exceptionally well, because right now, you are currently ranked number 62 nationally in terms of your recruiting class. And if Texas wants to get into the top 15, top 10, or ultimately, hopefully top five, they're going to have to do a really good job and land some of these top recruits that are on campus this weekend. Eventually, this 2024 class will be the foundation of your football team in the SEC. So like I said, from the recruiting staff to the Texas football staff led by Steve Sarkeesian to the players, it needs to be one band, one sound this weekend. And you need to do an exceptional job and hopefully close on some of the best players in the country. And this weekend has already taken a hit because you lost Micah Hudson, who was expected to visit. He shut down his recruitment. It seems like he's going to Texas Tech, a top 10 player in the country, number one wide receiver in the state of Texas. So that's definitely a big loss, right? Anytime you have a top offensive player in the state of Texas, you expect him to come to the University of Texas. But I think they still can do a really good job and solidify this as a dominant recruiting class this weekend if they put their best foot forward. So as I mentioned, there's five top 50 prospects on campus this weekend. That doesn't even do it justice because even outside of that, there's a lot of really good players on campus this weekend. But we're going to give you the scouting report on the top five players on the 40 this weekend and what they would mean if they made the decision to come to the University of Texas. So I'm going to start with Colin Simmons, and I think he has to be the crown jewel of this class for Texas, similar to Arch Manning last year. This class just will not look the same if you allow Colin Simmons to go somewhere else, right? Number six nationally, number one edge, one of the best edge prospects I've ever seen. He just jumps off the screen in all ways, right? And when you watch him and you watch his tape, it doesn't look like anybody belongs on the field with him, right? He looks like an NFL player playing against middle schoolers. But the problem is, or not even the problem, he's playing high school football in Texas at the highest level. And still, when you watch his tape, it doesn't look like anybody else on the field belongs with him. That's how explosive he is. When I watched his highlight tape, the first thing that jumped off the screen to me was his quickness in his first step. By the time the offensive tackle can even set his feet, he's already in the backfield, right? And I think when you look at his stats this year en route to a state championship, he had 22 sacks and 33 tackles for loss, which are insane numbers, once again, playing at the highest level in Texas high school football. He has great pursuit to the ball, whether it's in the box or on the outside, whether it's the quarterback, you know, wide receiver or the running back. He does a really good job of pursuing to the ball carrier. He has 
great strength to shed blocks when engaged, right? When you watch his tape, you rarely see offensive linemen be able to get their hands on him because he's so quick. Half the time, he just runs around him. But when they do get their hands on him, he's able to shed those blocks and get to the ball carrier. He also does a really good job of setting the run. I mean, setting the edge in the run game, right? So he can set that edge and not allow the running back to get outside of them, force him back inside, and then allow his teammates to make plays if he can't make the play himself. He's a very underrated run defender. He actually tweeted this at one point. I can't remember when it was, but he said, you know, everybody wants to talk about my pass rushing, but I'm a really good run defender as well, right? And, you know, in today's age where, you know, the quarterback is the most important, you know, position on the field and all we do is throw, throw, throw. When we talk about edge rushers, we talk about bringing the quarterback down. But obviously you have to stop the run as well. That's something that Colin Simmons can do at a high level. He has great football IQ and awareness, right? What do we always tell edges and defensive ends when they can't get to the quarterback? Put your hands up. Try to get a deflection. When you watch Colin Simmons tape, he literally does that every play he can't get to the quarterback. So much so that in the state championship game, there's a play where they run a screen pass. He diagnoses it, right? Realize he's getting to the quarterback too easily, backs off, deflects the ball, and they get an interception en route to a state championship win. So that's a huge thing for me with edge rushers, that football IQ and that awareness. And he does a really good job of that. And when he does not get to the quarterback, he puts his hands up. And you'll see on tape that resulted in a lot of deflections this year for Colin Simmons, right? We know at this age and at this level, you don't see a ton of pass rush moves from edge rushers, right? Because they're able to just dominate based off their athleticism and being bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody they're going against, right? But he does have a few pass rush moves that you can notice on tape. He's exceptionally quick, and he has a really good in-and-out move, right, where he kind of goes in and out and, you know, gets the offensive tackle off balance to get to the quarterback. By the time the tackle goes out, right, uh, Colin Simmons is already in the backfield, and he has a nice dip move, right, to get under tackles and get to the quarterback. It's not a Von Miller dip move, but it's a dip move, and it's effective nonetheless, right? He's long and athletic. Looks like a basketball player out there playing in the trenches and he's a very violent tackler and finisher when he gets to the ball carrier he does not miss tackles he is that prototypical edge that I think eventually will be one of the best players in college football and will be a top 10 to top 15 draft pick in the NFL right I compare him to Kayvon Thibodeau when you look at it Miles Garrett fit that mold right number one pick in the NFL draft Kayvon Thibodeau top five recruit you know in high school uh, at the edge position top five draft pick Will Anderson Top five recruit at the edge position, top five draft pick. Dallas Turner looks like he's going to fit that same mold. I think Colin Simmons will eventually be one of the best players in college football, eventually be a top 15 draft pick in the NFL. And hopefully in 2025, Anthony Hill and Colin Simmons are two of the best defensive players in college football. And hopefully for our sake, they're playing on the same team. He's that explosive. And I talked about, uh, you know, Micah Hudson canceling his official visit and going to Texas Tech. You're not going to have to play against Michael Hudson if he goes to Texas Tech. If Colin Simmons goes to LSU or anywhere else in the SEC, you're going to have to play against him. And your tackle is probably going to be picking your quarterback up off the ground. It's imperative that Colin Simmons ends up at the University of Texas. Jarrett Gibson, one of the best running backs in the country, currently number 39 nationally, the number two running back in this class. And we'll talk about in the next segment where we just brought in Christian Clark and out of Florida, out of Gainesville, Florida, actually, former Florida commit, Jared Gibson, all signs seem to be pointing to him heading to the University of Texas as well if you're into crystal balls and recruiting. So this would be a hell of a get for Tashar Choice, and I love the tandem of Jared Gibson and Christian Clark in this recruiting class. I think they're both very special players. When you watch Jared Gibson, 
nothing necessarily jumps off the tape, right? You're not watching this highlight tape like, oh my God, he's crazy, right? But he's a very productive player. Kind of reminds me of a Josh Jacobs where you watch the tape and nothing wows you, right? But then you look up at the end of the day and he's leading the league and rushing, right? And I shouldn't even say nothing wows you, but when you think of a running back, you think of, oh, you know, that exceptional speed, he's blowing past everybody or he's making people miss like crazy. And you're not going to see that on Jared Gibson's tape. What you're going to see is just no nonsense running downhill and production. He has great power inside the hole and in the open field, right? He can, you know, run over people and he sheds a lot of tackles, right? Like I said, whether that's in the open field or even in the box, right? You see him, you know, kind of squeaking out the box all the time where it's like, how did he not get tackled, right? In traffic. He's a great running back at doing that. He has elite contact balance. This is so important. Yards after contact, he has an elite ability to get those, right? You see it in the open field or in the box. He never goes down our first contact, right? And whether it's in the backfield, in the box, or in the open field, if you don't get, you know, two hands on him, if you don't tackle him with full intent, he's going to bounce right off of you and head to the end zone. And that's, you know, a huge thing, like I said, because you can't always count on the offensive line to make great blocks. You can't always count on there to be a huge hole. But what I can't, what I can count on is Jared Gibson to make that first defender miss. And he's not going to do, he's going to miss by bouncing right off of him. Very powerful running back who is almost impossible to bring down. That's going to really benefit him at the University of Texas in SEC football. If I don't want to jinx it, if he commits to Tashara Choice in the 40 Acres. And last but not least, he has great vision and he's a no-nonsense downhill one-cut runner, right? And that's what you need. You need somebody who every time is going to get you three to five yards, right? Of course, he's going to have the big plays. Of course, he's going to break off for the longer 20, 30-yard runs. But you need somebody who's not going to dance behind the line of scrimmage. You need somebody who's not going to, you know, be shifty and, you know, look for the home run on every play. Sometimes you just need somebody to take the ball and get downhill. And that's what he does. He takes the ball, finds the hole, makes one cut and gets downhill. A very productive runner. Like I said, he's going to be a very good running back in the SEC. I love the potential tandem, um, him and Christian Clark. And like I said, he's not going to burn you down the field. He's not going to, you know, be in a phone booth, making people miss like B. John Robinson, but he's just going to be a very productive runner who's going to run for a thousand yards at the highest level in college football. Kobe Black, number one corner in the state of Texas, number three corner nationally, number 23rd overall player nationally. And he's the prototypical man corner with good speed, right? And I think that fits the mode of what we've been bringing into the 40 acres. When you look at it, uh, you know, Ryan Watts is a bigger corner. Terrence Brooks is a bigger corner. Even Jalen Gilbo and Malik Muhammad aren't their size, but they're bigger corners in terms of height. And right now, going into his senior year of high school, Kobe Black is listed at six foot 190. So I expect him to be six foot 200, 205 by the time he takes a college snap. And like I said, that fits the profile of what Texas has bringing in recently in that cornerback room. And he's physical. Right. He can play bump and run coverage and he stays on the receiver's hip. He does a really good job. And even if he doesn't get his hands on you off the line of scrimmage in terms of your release and press coverage, he does a really good job of, you know, getting his hands on you at the top of the route and kind of throwing you off your game and then making a play on the ball. Like I said, he's your prototypical man corner that if he develops the right way, could, you know, shut down a complete side of the field at the 40 acres. He does a really good job of mirroring routes and staying on the receiver's hip, right? You never see him trailing. You never see him behind. You never see him, you never see him have to catch up on tape, right? He's always right there with the receiver. And that allows him to make a play on the ball. And that's something he does exceptionally well because he plays receiver himself, right? He comes from that mold of, 
you know, Waco Connolly comes from Waco Connolly, where we saw Jelani McDonald, who's in the 2023 class, damn near do everything. He was even the punter, right? Jelani McDonald, and it's the same thing with Kobe Black. He's their running back at times. He's their receiver at times. I think he plays receiver full time. And then he's obviously their starting corner. But to play receiver at a high level in Texas and high school football, you have to have great ball skills. And that only translate to him playing corner. And then he does a good job of reading the quarterback and off coverage as well. There's not a ton of tape at least in his highlights, you know, of him playing off coverage or him playing zone. But when he does and he's not matching the receiver step for step, he does a really good job of diagnosing the play, keying in on the quarterback, seeing where his eyes are, and then, you know, putting himself in a position to make a play on the ball if the quarterback is crazy enough to come towards him, which, of course, they do a lot in high school football. So, like I said, Kobe Black is one of the best corners in the country. Definitely a need for the University of Texas. All signs seem to point to him coming to the University of Texas if you pay attention to crystal balls. And he's your prototypical man corner with good speed and good size. Looks like somebody that eventually at the University of Texas can slot in at that corner spot awfully, uh, you know, opposite of Malik Muhammad, excuse me. And you'll have one of the best corner tandems in college football in a few years. Dominique McKinley out of Louisiana, number 36 nationally, number five D lineman a big man up front in the trenches. And this is a conversation we had yesterday in one of my Texas chats where we were talking about, you know, has Bo Davis had a huge recruiting win since he's been here? I would say Sadir Mitchell was a big win, especially taking him from the University of Georgia, because these are the type of players that Georgia has, you know, recruited historically and won national championships with. These are the type of players LSU has rec uh, recruited historically and won national championships with. Same with Alabama. If Texas wants to enter that mold, especially when they get to the SEC, you have to bring in a talented player like Dominic McKinley up front out of the state of Louisiana. And when I watch his tape, he's very strong on the interior, right? And that's what you need from somebody who's going to be playing in the A gap or the B gap, somebody that can occupy two blocks, or if you block him one-on-one, -on -one, it's a mismatch and he's going to get to the quarterback. And what I love about him is he is 6'5", 290. I expect him to be, you know, 310 to 325 by the time he takes a college snap, but he still moves really well for his size, right? You know, it remains to be seen how well he'll move if he adds 20 to 30 pounds, because that always could be the difference. That's a lot of weight. But right now you see him making plays 15, 20 yards down the field as a defensive tackle in the A gap or the B gap, right? He's a very talented defensive lineman that moves extremely well for his size. And like I said, he repeatedly takes on multiple blocks and gets to the ball carrier. Somebody who just wreaks havoc in the trenches on that defensive line and somebody that can wreck the entire offense's game plan on that side of the ball. These, this is the type of player that teams win with at the highest level in the SEC. And if Texas wants to go to that conference and be on the level of Georgia, Alabama, and LSU, it starts with bringing in players like Dominic McKinley. I think this is a huge get, would be a huge get for Texas, and they need to get this because I'm not sure what your depth will look like or who your starters will be at that defensive tackle position next year, especially if you lose Alfred Collins to Vondre Sweat and Byron Murphy all in the same cycle. You have to bring in Dominique McKinley to ensure that you're going to be SEC ready when you get there with dominant players up front. And then Terry Bussey, the last of the top 50 prospects that will be on campus this weekend. Once again, that does not do it justice. There's tons of great players, regardless of where they're ranked. But, you know, we only have so much time in this segment. And he's number 28 nationally, number three athlete. And he is just a freak athlete, somebody that does everything, right? I think in high school, he was the quarterback, running back, wide receiver, safety, and whatever else they needed him to do, right? Also, while playing baseball and basketball and running track, right? He's just a crazy freak athlete, and he definitely played at a lower level of high school football, but it doesn't matter because he jumps, I mean, leaps off the screen, right? And he's clearly the best player playing at that level. Reminds me so much of a Jonathan Brooks, not 
in terms of a direct comparison because Jonathan Brooks was a true running back, but he had 72 offensive touchdowns this year, right? Like just a player that you look at him and you say, yeah, he just doesn't belong on the field with everybody else. That's Terry Bussey. He's going to dominate at the highest level in college football, a dynamic runner that can make you miss or break tackles, just a sweet runner in the open field and a true football player. Like I said, whatever you need him to do, like John Lonnie McDonald, if you asked him to kick or punt, I'm pretty sure he could do that and do it at a high level as well. He just makes plays and finds the end zone, 72 offensive touchdowns. That doesn't even count the defensive touchdowns he had this year. So he's just a hell of a player. Not sure exactly where the staff will want him, but wherever you put him, he's going to make impact plays at the 40 acres whatever school he ends up at so like i said a lot of talented players on the 40 acres this weekend currently sitting at the 62nd recruiting uh class nationally you need to do a good job and close on some of these top prospects to ensure that you have a top 15 class and ensure that when you get to the sec you have a strong foundation of your football team to win at the highest level a quick word from our sponsors and then we're going to talk about the latest member of the university of texas football team christian clark who committed to the 40 acres yesterday I'm usually giving you the scouting report on Texas football, but today we're talking about bird dogs and bird dogs make you look good. It's the summertime and I know you want to look good. Bird dog stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better. They fit way better than regular shorts that are made of a stiff restricting cotton. Bird dogs fix this issue by inventing cloud knit fabric that looks just like khaki, but stretches. So you get a way slimmer fit without having to sacrifice movement. Bird dogs use anti-stink sweat wicking fabric that keeps you cool and dry all day long and you need that in this 115 degree sauna we call the state of texas go to birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler with your order that's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free yeti style tumbler you won't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you and remember if you do take them off in public that is indecent exposure <laughs> All right, we're talking about Christian Clark, and yesterday was a bittersweet day because we did bring in one of the best running backs in the country, which I'm excited to talk about here in a few. But we also lost our top-ranked recruit up until this point, Hunter Mod, and I think he was 90th overall right in the country and, of course, was the top-ranked recruit thus far in the recruiting class, and he decommitted. So I think last week I talked about how Texas was sitting at 65 and we needed to get up into the 50s by the time this recruiting weekend started to have momentum. Um, and, you know, try to move up into the top 15 eventually. And when you got Santana Wilson and Freddie DuBose Jr. early in the week, you did move up into the 50s. And then Christian Clark commits and you moved up a little bit higher. But then you lost Hunter Midden, uh, Hunter Modden, excuse me, and you dropped right back down to 62 currently, right? So you can never have nice things at the University of Texas. It also, it kind of reminds me of uh, when Max Amos committed. And we're like, oh, okay, Roddy Terry started to cook, right? The roster started to look great. And then 24 hours later, Ron Holland decommitted. And it's like, what the hell? Right? I don't know. Like, I don't know what to believe. I don't know what to think. I don't know if things are going well, if things are going bad. What is going on? But I expect this recruiting class to be really uh to go really well. Hunter Modern is a great player, and wherever he ends up, they're getting a good prospect. So they're talking about Kristen Clark, currently ranked as the number 286 player in this recruiting class and the number 23 running back in this recruiting class. If you're an avid listener of Locked on Longhorns, you know I mentioned Kristen Clark earlier in the week, maybe last week. Um, and I talked about how Texas Homer, we talk a lot in our group chats, my brother. And, uh, he said that this is his favorite running back in the class. Right. And I look at the recruiting rank and I'm like 286 nationally, number 23 running back. What does he see? Right. But I told y'all that Texas Homer has forgotten more football than I'll ever know. So I immediately was like, okay, Christian Clark must be 
one of them ones, right? And then I saw that Tashar Choice was recruiting him heavily, like had keyed in on him, right? And remember when he was going after Reuben Owens or when everybody thought Reuben Owens was the best running back in the country and Tashar Choice was like, nah, I want Cedric Baxter. And I think he made the right decision there because Cedric Baxter ended up being the number one running back in the country. I'm telling you right now, there is no way at the end of his senior year, Christian Clark will be ranked 286 nationally or will be the 23rd running back in the country. That is just an absurd ranking. I don't, I don't get how they made that. When I look at Jared Gibson, I think he's a really good running back. And I'm in no way saying that Christian Clark is better than Jared Gibson. But you got to show me on the tape how Jared Gibson is 240 spots better than Christian Clark. I don't see it. You just got to show me that on the tape, right? Now, thankfully for us, they'll probably both end up at the University of Texas, so we don't have to compare them. But you need to show me on the tape why Christian Clark is the 286 best player in this class, right? He's not, right? And you got to show me on the tape why there's 22 running backs better than Christian Clark in this class. Spoiler alert, they're not, right? So when you look at him, when you watch the highlights, the first thing that I saw was a great jump cut, right? He has an excellent jump cut and can make you miss, right? And I think that's important because he's a big physical running back. So he still has that make you miss ability, especially in the open field, but also in the box, right? He can make a jump cut, evade traffic and get downfield. And I think the biggest difference between him and Jared Gibson, one, he's bigger, but he has that long speed, right? But still has some of that power that Jared Gibson possesses. But when he gets to the 50-yard line, 40-yard line, he's gone. He's not getting hocked, right? If he's even, he's leaving. And I think that makes him a very tantalizing prospect because he's somebody that can be really physical, can dominate at the line of scrimmage, can bounce off tackles or break tackles, but also can run past you, right? I think he Reminds me of Cedric Baxter last year. Definitely doesn't have all of the high-end traits that Cedric Baxter does. Doesn't put it all together as well as Cedric Baxter did last year. But he looks like a running back that really does not have any holes. And like I said, I'm just shocked, dumbfounded at how there can be 285 high school players better than him and 22 running backs better than him. Once again, spoiler alert, they're not. They got it wrong, right? He also has a powerful lower half. If you see a picture of him, he looks like Saquon Barkley damn near, right? And it makes him so hard to bring down, similar with Jared Gibson, right? He's not going down on first contact, and you have to tackle him with intent. You try to arm tackle him. You try to grab onto his legs. You try to, you know, do anything but tackle him with full intent and full intensity. He's bouncing off of you and taking it to the house. And what I love about Christian Clark and what I didn't see on Jerry Gibson's tape, right? And this doesn't mean that he can't do it. It's just not on his tape, right? And I could only go off the tape. I can't go down to Gainesville and watch him in person, right? You only see one play on Jerry Gibson's highlight tape where he's catching the football, right? We have the stats last year from Christian Clark as a receiver, and he was very productive. 37 catches for 368 yards and five touchdowns. There's a play on his highlight tape where he wins and catches a jump ball 40 yards down the field as a big physical running back. Like I said, he's just somebody that can do everything at the running back position. Tashar Choice has done such a great job of evaluating and eyeing talent. Going back to Jameer Gibbs at Georgia Tech, what he was able to do with Roshan and Bijan this year getting Cedric Baxter in the recruiting class. And now it looks like possibly Christian Clark and Jared Gibson. So Tashar Choice has proven himself to be one of the best running back coaches in the country, not only as a recruiter, but as a developer. And I'm excited to see what Christian Clark can do under him in Steve Sarkeesian's offense. And it's important that you get Jared Gibson to put next to Christian Clark because you don't know what the future of the running back position will be at the 40 acres after Cedric Baxter. But we knew we do know this is running back you and I expect Christian Clark and Jared Gibson, if he commits to be very productive at the 40 acres when it's all said and done. A quick word from our sponsors, and then we're going to talk about the majesty we saw last night between Wake Forest 
in LSU, pure electric baseball at the highest level. So last night I'm watching uh, Wake Forest and LSU. It was a heavyweight matchup between two of the best pitchers in college baseball, maybe the two best pitchers in college baseball, Rhett Louder and Paul Skeens, and it lived up to the hype. You know, to set the stage, this was a winner-go-home game, right? The loser of this game was going to go home, and the winner of this game moved on to play Florida in the College World Series final that takes place this weekend. Spoiler alert, LSU did win the game. But Paul Skeens and Rhett Louder were dominant, and you felt so bad for that Wake Forest team. You felt so bad for Rhett Louder at the end of the day because, you know, that's the last game he'll ever pitch, you know, in college, right? And he was dominant, right, and has nothing to show for it. Went, I think, eight innings, um, didn't give up a run, showed all kind of pitches, the two-seam, uh, the four-seam. He had a nice slider, a nice changeup. I mean, he was just mowing down one of the best offenses in college baseball in the LSU Tigers, right? Dylan Cruz, the number one projected pick in the MLB draft, I think went one for four against him. I mean, he was just dominant. And then you look at Paul Skeens on the other side, of course, he has that power fastball that can get up to 101, 102. He has that power changeup that's hitting you at 92, 93. And then that slider that's just untouchable. Paul Skeens definitely will be a top five pick in the MLB draft. And some people say he should be the number one pick. I still think it should be Dylan Cruz because he's playing 162 games a year compared to, you know, 33 for Paul Skeens. But nonetheless, all three players I mentioned will be uh, in the MLB sooner than later. And it was just an explosive game, right? A game that nobody scored until the 11th inning, right? When Tommy Tanks walked it off, you know, for the LSU Tigers. Great defense, great pitching. There were so many great plays, you know, especially um, that play where Wake Forest was on third and they tried to send the runner on a bunt. And the first baseman makes a crazy play, gets it, scoops it up real quick, throws it to the catcher, and they make that out, right? If he slides across the plate and he's safe, and also he jumped and tried to jump over the catcher damn near, which was a great play. But if he slides and scores, Wake Forest probably wins because LSU did not score a run until the 11th inning, right? It went to extras. If Wake Forest scores that run, they likely win the game 1-0, right? And they're likely headed to the finals against Florida. Instead, they're going home while LSU is going to the finals in an all-SEC matchup in the championship. So just one of the best baseball games I've ever watched. I said in the chat, and Nash Talks Texas and Lando from the Lando show, two people you may watch on YouTube, uh, they said the same thing. That was a top-five baseball game I have ever watched. And it made me sad that Texas was not in that moment. And it made me sad that Texas was not playing because to see these baseball players in my favorite sport play at the highest level, one of the best baseball games I've ever seen with all the pressure on the world on them and all of them, I guess, besides the hitters, right? But all of the pitching and all of the defense was elite for 11 straight innings. And you can't even blame the reliever for giving up a two run homer to one of the best players in college baseball in the bottom of the 11th inning, because the pitching staff prior to that had pitched 10 shutout innings. You're just asking your offense to give you one run. But of course, when you got Paul Skeens on the other end, one run isn't guaranteed. And as we saw, that's the reason that LSU was moving on, but it's time for Texas to be back on the stage. And we've dealt with pure heartbreak the last three years. When we think of Texas, they're the Omaha Horns, right? This is one of the most storied, if not the most storied college baseball program of all time, right? We have the most college World Series 
wins of all time, the most College World Series appearances of all time. Texas should be playing this weekend. That game last night between Wake Forest and LSU very well could have been Texas against Wake Forest or Texas against LSU. We deserve to be on that stage and hopefully we'll be back on that stage next season. We've dealt with some heartbreak the last three years. You look at 2021 getting walked off against Mississippi State en route to, you know, hopefully head into the final last year. You lose to Texas A&M to get sent home. You never want to lose to little brother in that fashion. And then this year you lose the, you know, pop up in the lights at Stanford. And that's how, you know, you end your season. It's just been crazy, unfortunate heartbreak for the Texas Longhorns the last three years that have prevented us when we've had some really talented teams have prevented us from playing baseball at the highest level in the College World Series final. I'm going to enjoy the series this weekend between LSU and uh, Florida, but it's going to be bittersweet because I expect Texas to be in these moments. I expect Texas to be playing, you know, at the very end of the season. And hopefully that's something we can get back to next season. Because like I said, Wake Forest and LSU was one of the best baseball games I have ever watched. And as a Texas fan and as a Texas homer, I can't wait to see Texas back playing on this stage. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Locked On Longhorns, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Enjoy your weekend. Hook them. Peace.